0: Look around at this great city of ours. What do you see? I see a multitude of amazing people. Over the next hour, Bill Wilson and Michael Lynn White will talk to some of these amazing people about topics that interest you and give you just what you need to kick off your week with a
1: dang on the Mr.
0: Murfreesboro Show.
2: What's up, Murfreesboro? I'm Michael Lynn White, and you are listening to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show right here on WGNS. We are live in the studio, and tonight... Mr. Murfreesboro Bill Wilson, we're gonna miss him. He is out tonight, but in his place, I have my friend and awesome radio personality, Mr.
3: Chip Walters. Hello there, Michael Lynn. How are you?
2: I'm good, Chip. Thanks for filling in.
3: You know the thing is when when Bill asks you to fill in, he goes, "Oh, and by the way, you need to schedule a guest." (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) very true. Thank you for helping us out. Oh my goodness, and uh, and also. Instead of on Mr. Murphy's Burroughs page, we are on facebook live you can check us out there or comment but we're on mine michael lynn white go over and check us out please don't friend request me if i don't know you and I'm i just, just shared kidding. i
3: just shared it on my facebook page <laughs> good too.
2: okay so. and so go to chip walters and you can check out his facebook page so you can also call into the studio and turn your phone down chip walters
3: i am and that was well, that was bill who just <laughs> is just, that right good yeah. okay so.
2: well what's up bill we and okay so Lots of things going on, so let's introduce our guest.
3: Well, our guest is is one of my very best friends, uh, and our topic tonight. I know uh, uh, Edward Lee, Edwin Lee had uh, had a had a, a spicy topic. This mm-hmm. this topic uh, was in the news last week, uh, but it was celebrated. This topic was celebrated last week because uh, of it was the fiftieth Wednesday was the fiftieth anniversary of title IX being signed into law by president nixon of all people and uh and it has been probably the the greatest thing that's ever happened to women's athletics and the one person that i know that knows more about it and has lived it is diane turnham and uh, she is Senior Women's Administrator, Senior Associate Athletic Director at Middle, and uh, and and just a, a champion for women's causes uh, all along. And Diane, we're so glad you uh, stayed up past your bedtime tonight.
2: I know. Thanks, Chip. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm so excited to get into this. We were talking a little bit before, yes. and um, so I'm just excited for us all to hear kind of your perspective on everything.
3: Perfect. I want to start this off. Uh ESPN is run, it has uh, a year-long um, uh, c- uh, celebration of Title IX, which, by the way, uh, Blue Raider Athletics is going to be doing the same thing. And if you go to goblueraiders.com slash title IX, the Roman numeral, uh, there is a year-long celebration that has begun there. But uh, the ESPN series is called 37 Words. And, uh, and here are... The 37 words that changed the world for females, uh, not only in athletics but any anything where there was uh, discrimination uh, and, and and in particular in, in, in on the basis of sex, excluded if they were excluded from participation due to sex. Now the 37 words in Title IX are. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So this is actually, it's not like they made a sports law. This was through the Department of Education. Is that correct, Diane? That is correct. And uh, and, and it, uh, I think one of the, Best examples I could probably give of in, in our situation tonight is that had Title IX not occurred, you would not be doing what you're doing.
1: I would not. You know, so, it's amazing when you think about it, Chip. Uh, I uh, played a lot of basketball, uh, had the opportunity to participate at the high school level, but at that time, there weren't very many opportunities for you to go on and participate at the college level. And, uh, as I look back now, uh, I'm in my 40th year at MTSU, uh, which is overwhelming to me, but I've been so blessed to be a part of a lot of great changes in our athletic department, but had title IX not come along, I'd probably be teaching elementary school in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, where I came from. And instead I've had a great career at middle Tennessee state university on the college level.
3: Well, and in the, the, uh, the the recognition that you've gotten in your position uh, have been uh, numerous uh, the Athena Awards other mm-hmm. other things around town but but you were also the uh, the chairman of the women's basketball committee the women's basketball selection committee for the NCAA tournament unfortunately it happened you were that during 2020 2020 <laughs> so mm-hmm. and, and 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 which is a story we'll get into in just a little bit but um this all happened in 1972 and that is the time when you were probably in elementary and middle school and did it did it have any effect on you immediately uh in the were, were, were you aware of what was going on when Title IX was signed into law, that that this was gonna, this had the potential to open doors for you and other girls across the country?
1: I, I don't think anyone totally uh, understood exactly what it meant. Uh, you know, I, I was at Mount Juliet. I was, I think I was a freshman actually, and I had just tried out for basketball there, made the team, uh, was so excited to be able to participate. Uh, but even then, you noticed a lot of uh, inequities or things that maybe weren't the same for the men's programs and the women's mm-hmm. programs, but you didn't think that much about it. You were just excited to be able to participate. And so as you learn more about it, you realize there was a whole lot more to this game uh, and a lot of uh, benefits that could be... Uh, very essential in uh, being successful later in life. So uh, it, it's a it was an exciting time, but no, I had no idea at the time what it was going to mean.
3: Yeah, here at, here at in in at MTSU, um, the the very first female to uh, sign a scholarship was Sandy Neal. Yes, and uh, a lot of folks around town know Sandy. She has been. Part of, of middle, uh, she actually came here in '72. She did, and uh, uh, as as a tennis player and a student, and then she received a scholarship for her senior year. And I think she told me, I had the opportunity to talk with her the other day, uh, and and I think there were three young women, and she just happened to turn her papers in first, and that made her the first scholarship athlete. And she also said that that uh, you know she was the first female to have a coaching job right and uh and she and she said that you know they went to the library wherever because women had not gotten opportunities to coach now that women's programs were going to be funded they were looking for females to coach and there just had not been that feeder system through high schools or whatever it was always a man's world and and she said we just had to go out and learn how to do it our own way.
1: You know, that's exactly right. Um, Sandy was one of my mentors uh, when I arrived at Middle Tennessee State University um, to be an assistant basketball coach. I'll never forget, I was sitting in Coach Jimmy Earle's office, and he was the then athletic director, and he welcomed me to Middle Tennessee State University, and he said, Diane, we're just so excited to have you here. And by the way, Did I mention we're going to let you coach volleyball? And we were (laughs) laughing before the show started because the coach before me uh, were a couple of GAs, but one of those was Sandy. Yeah, and and
3: to run people's memory, you came here uh, to be an assistant for Larry Joe Inman. Yes. Which was another, we're going through a golden era of Lady Raider basketball right now, but you all really had the first golden era.
1: You know, uh, we were uh, in the early 80s, and it was a phenomenal time. Uh, Larry Joe uh, and the women's team had won a conference championship, I believe, in 80. I came here in 82, and we won about six or seven straight, uh, went to the NCAA tournaments, and it was an exciting time. Uh, we just were very uh, fortunate to recruit some of the top athletes in this area, which was a, a, an area where women had g- some great skills. Uh, women's basketball in Tennessee uh, was very strong at that time. Um, And so we were very fortunate and reaped the benefits of that and had uh, about, like I said, six or seven straight conference championships. So how
2: did the women get before this was signed? Maybe I'm missing something, but how did they even get to the universities to play
3: sports? It wasn't there.
1: It, most of the most of the opportunities were club opportunities. Right. A lot of people may not know this, but it, it's an incredible fact. Uh, in fact, I was I was attending the Ohio Valley Conference uh, Title IX luncheon the other day, and they were honoring some women in the Ohio Valley Conference, and I knew many of them. Uh, one of which was Mary Nell Metters, who was at Tennessee Tech for many years, and was, in a
3: middle uh, grad. Uh,
1: yes, and, and and when we were talking about her playing. Uh, she and Sue Gunter, who was also at LSU for many years. And
3: a middle grad.
1: Uh, also a middle <laughs> grad. They were right here in school, but they didn't have opportunities to play. They developed a club team through intramurals, and they uh, worked to play other universities. Uh, they had to buy their own Uh, equipment they had to buy their own Mm -hmm. shoes they had to drive themselves to the events probably in somebody's station wagon where they could pile everybody in it so while the men were probably on scholarship and had uniforms and and lots of equipment right they they just wanted the opportunity to play they loved the game and and so they did whatever it took to get to participate and really didn't think as much about it they just wanted
3: to play you know right marynell and sue came here like a lot of Females in the '60s and '70s to become teachers, right? And Marynell and Sue, in particular, had that desire to go on and and to to start something. And, and Marynell, uh, you know, went on to great things at Tennessee Tech. It hurts me to say that. But, it does, uh, me but, too. <laughs> but she did, and Sue Gunner uh, at, at LSU. But they, you know, it, it really because. If you go back and look at Midlanders and Mm -hmm. there were women's basketball teams going back how long, Diane?
1: Well, if you ever come to one of our Legends games, you know that uh, Miss Faye Brandon... I
3: was setting you up for that, so... (laughs) (laughs)
1: played uh and and you know every year uh i believe she's uh the young age of i believe 94 right now wow and she comes out to every legends weekend we have and she'll tell you in a heartbeat that in the 40s she was on the women's basketball team here and when you stop and you think about that and and those ladies paving the way for us to have opportunities is absolutely mind-boggling and and so exciting and she takes great pride in that and we are so proud to have her and as Faye part will, of our group and
3: Faye will tell you I mean no they didn't play in Murphy Center no, <laughs> no they did not play in Alumni Gym because that was not built until after World War II mm-hmm. they played on the third floor of Old Main that's where the gym wow. was yeah. pr- prior to prior to uh to uh, to uh, alumni memorial gym so yeah.
1: and I'm sure they had to work hard just to get in there and to play anything uh, around some men's basketball practices mm-hmm. so uh, you know they had to be very dedicated they had to love the game and they really had to work to get get their uh, time to, to play and to uh, promote the sport
2: was there a lot of pushback from a lot of people when this was going through do you remember any of that probably
1: yes there was pushback uh you know how, how dare some of these people come in and and interrupt our important practice time or other things right uh so yeah you you kind of had to be a trendsetter it, uh i i played at lipscomb mm-hmm. in the uh late 70s early 80s and at that time uh at lipscomb university it was still a college then there was the men's team there was the high school boys team the high school girls team and then us and we had just been a program for about two years and so all of those teams got to practice before we did so we either practiced at six in the morning Or really late at night and if you wanted to get in and get extra shots you you basically had to break into the gym
3: (laughs) and you know and and now that that just seems amazing because these days you know the ops director for women's basketball and the ops director for men's they get together and say okay who wants to go first and you know and and they just work it out because it's 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 all expected so
2: i know which is really cool well i'm so excited to be talking about this and to have our guest here and to have you here chip we're going to take a quick break don't go anywhere we'll be right back Drake's Barbershop began when local resident Robert Drake opened the business in 1972. Veteran Jason Rigney purchased the business in 2003, and this kept Drake's Barbershop a staple here in Murfreesboro. Jason has kept the legacy alive, and they will be celebrating their 50th anniversary on July 16th at the shop. So make plans to come and join the celebration. There will be live music and food. It starts at 8.30 and runs till 3 p.m. Veterans receive a discount for haircuts. You can follow them on their Facebook page at Drake's Barbershop. Who do you call when you drop your wireless device? Call iFIX Wireless at 615-845-8113 or stop by
0: and see TUC at 1433 Warrior Drive. They are locally owned and operated. For all of your wireless device maintenance, go and see iFIX Wireless near the corner of Warrior Drive and New Salem Highway. You can also follow them on their Facebook page at iFIX
2: Wireless. Old Stone Fort Golf Course is the place for you to get away for the day to play golf. Located right next to the beautiful Duck River and only five minutes from I-24. Whether you're a beginner or avid golfer, Old Stone Fort Golf Course is ideal for you. Golf carts are available and there is a golf shop. You can play nine holes for $9 and kids 12 and underplay for free. They are located at 1017 Country Club Lane in Manchester, Tennessee. You can call for a tee time at 931-954-0366. You can also follow Old Stone Fort Golf Course on Facebook.
0: you know there is a new title and escrow company in town and they have 20 plus years of experience in the business? For all of your real estate closings, contact Authority Title at 615-819-5880. You can also stop by their Brandy Wine office located at 319 Hickerson Drive just off of the Square. They are our preferred real estate partner. You can also follow them at Authoritarian's Escrow on Facebook.
2: Welcome back to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. I'm Michael Lynn White, and with Bill being out tonight, we have my buddy Chip Walters filling in.
3: do want to remind folks, uh, I, I'm on, on Wednesday mornings uh, at 9 a.m. I, oh, yeah. I do the roundtable, and this Wednesday, J.W. Roth, who is the CEO of Notes Live, uh, he is going to be on with me from parts unknown. He'll be on by way of a Zoom call on... Uh, on um, Wednesday at nine o'clock. So, can I
2: call in and talk to him? Because I can. met him, I welcomed them when they came to City Hall. Well, so, can I call in and he'll, say hello?
3: Absolutely, you're, you're, because he'll know who you are. He now, you, were, you asked if there was pushback, and Diane talked about practice times, things like that. One thing, Diane, that, that athletic directors, not only at the college level, but at the high school level, had to immediately figure out was budgets. <laughs> You know, oh, you were in words. charge of that. I'm sure that uh, was like hard. No, to do.
1: I was not in charge of the budget um, immediately. Uh, that came a little bit later. Uh, but um, you know, when you talk about uh, equity or equality, uh, it was still interesting to see how there's there's so many aspects of Title Nine. So not only uh, were the aspects of your ability to receive coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. I was the first full-time assistant basketball coach for the women we'd ever had. The men had three at that time. Wow. Um, I, I came in, and as I mentioned, I was asked to coach two sports. Uh, <laughs> none of them did that, uh, and they all made quite a bit more than I did. Right. Uh, and so those were just a few things you had to think about. But here's the other thing, the opportunity to have facilities Uh, we had to divvy up the gym time, which is something they weren't used to having to do in the Mm -hmm. past. And so sometimes they weren't always excited about that. But then you take other aspects. Um, back then we had one full-time athletic trainer and he was pretty busy with, uh, Football and men's basketball, and I'll never forget the day I met George Camp. Bless him. Uh, he mm-hmm. had a few uh, student assistants, and we had one of those. And I met him, and I think his first words: "Hate basketball, hate volleyball, hate women's athletics." Oh my! <laughs> and not because he really hated them; <laughs> it just meant so much more work for yeah. him. Yeah, because you know we had the opportunities to participate, but they didn't necessarily. Always get the individuals you needed to help supplement the other areas. We had fewer coaches. We had no trainers. uh, We had uh, no academic enhancement areas back then. So, not only did you coach, uh, I I laugh and say one of the first things I had to do was get my chauffeur's license so that (laughs) I could drive the team van or bus. We had a mini bus. And in volleyball, I was it, I had no assistant so here i am coaching a division one sport and i was the head coach i was the assistant coach i was the manager i was the bus driver i was the financial person i had to do it all not only for one sport but two sports and you know I, i don't looking back i don't know how i did it but back then you just knew you were so excited for the opportunities it did not matter what it took to do it You just rolled up your sleeves and you did it and so i laugh and say you know i got there about 6 a.m every morning left about midnight went home got some sleep and came right back and started it again but Mm -hmm. i wouldn't take anything for it because i look at our sports today and i see the success they that they have had and every banner that's hanging in in either of the gyms i am so proud of because i know where we came from, right. and where we are now, and so that's just so exciting to see those young ladies you know, and, and how it, hard they work.
3: And and I, th- you know, and I think about it today. I couldn't imagine, and I'll just use basketball because th- sure. that's really apples and apples. Yes, when you've got men's and women's basketball, you know it. it does. It, I can't imagine, you know, these days saying, "Okay, men's team, you can fly to that game, uh, and women the same distance." You've got to take a bus, or, or, hey, men, you have two uh, athletic. You've got a strength coach, women, you do not, right. or things like. I mean, because everything. It, it is, you know, it is, you know, we have now lived it for 50 years. Right. And we know it's the right thing to do.
1: You know, uh, it, it is. It's the right thing to give people opportunities. I, I had some athletes who uh, wanted to play softball, but there was no such thing. And so uh, one in particular. They probably Lord,
3: had a killer intramural team, though. That,
1: well, <laughs> it, well, but growing up, you mm-hmm. know, when I was at Mount Juliet, we started a junior pro team because they never had opportunities for the younger girls to play. And I remember several of on my junior pro team played for us, but they also played on the little league team because there was no wow uh, no venue for women back then huh. uh in softball. So a lot of them played on the baseball team. So you just tried to find the opportunity any way you could to compete and then along came Title Nine and the opportunities uh and the resources and the budgets and so many things came along.
3: Now Tell me if I get off tr- off the trail here, but Title IX happened in 1972, right. and scholarships started to be given. The NCAA did not necessarily sanction women's sports for many years after that. You had an organization called the AIAW, Correct. which if you th- look back into the records of who were the great women's basketball teams of the 1970s? You had, well, Tennessee was one of them. Right. You had Tennessee, and old, they were just starting. They were, and Pat Summit, and she, I, I've seen her contract that when she went there after playing at UT Martin, um, you know, I think she was making $500 a month or something I like that. I think she
1: was a graduate assistant she, too. Yeah, and <laughs> um, yeah,
3: and and she had to do all those things, but right. but but she built Tennessee into a power. There was Tennessee, Louisiana Tech. Right. Old Dominion. Yes. Immaculata. I, and I still don't know where Immaculata was, and Delta State.
1: Right, and I will add one more. Okay. The Wayland Baptist Flying Queens. Yes. Wow.
3: Where are they? uh,
1: They are in Texas. In Texas. And I I will tell you, also during that time was Belmont University, and, and Coach Betty Wiseman, who's been there over 50 years. When I got out of school, you didn't have many choices. Tennessee was just starting, so you either went to Belmont, Tennessee Tech, uh, or one of the ones that we just mentioned because there just were not very many opportunities.
3: And that's to give Mary Nell Matter, Matters credit because she did build tech up. She did in the 70s before the 70s. Larry Joe Enman got here and right. and got middle going. But uh, you know though those, those uh, I remember those those days and and uh, and then on the high school level, the the big line of demarcation came and I'm trying to think what year it was, but uh, it had to be like 79...
1: Yes, I believe that's correct. ...was
3: was when... The, that was the last year of six-on-six six girls basketball. And, of course, the championship game that year had Riverdale, who was undefeated, going into the state finals against Warren County. Right. Warren County ended up winning it. That was the last six-on-six six game ever played in Tennessee. And then, through the power of the stare of Pat Summit <laughs> uh the TWSWA border control uh you know she she said all your excuses that they can't handle the 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 training they not can't they're enough. not strong enough mm-hmm. to that don't have that have the stamina yeah said we do it all the time said you're just behind and finally she basically shamed the t-double-s-double-a into into going to 5 on 5 basketball just like the boys played mm-hmm. and and now look, Tennessee is one of the top five states in the country for girls basketball.
1: You know, that that is so true. And and, and Pat uh, got a she got a lot of criticism because she would not recruit Tennessee kids because they didn't play five on five. They still played three on three and having been a product of three on three, mm-hmm. I thought our style of basketball was great, but it wasn't the same as the men and they felt like we could not compete. Uh, but you know, it, it came down. I'll never forget this. Jennifer White was at Loretta, Tennessee, yep. and she wanted to go to UT, and Pat wouldn't recruit her because she played uh, forward only, uh, which I was meant lucky. she
3: never had to play defense.
1: Well, it depends on how you played. Well, true. I would say Larry Joe uh, at Mount Juliet. We we were pressing even in the three on three days, but it was a much different look, and so we felt like we were very well prepared. We just didn't have to run the floor the whole time, but. That really brought attention. At, you're right. Because she to went to TWS, Louisiana Tech. Right, she did. Yep. And, and and so a lot of people complained because she didn't recruit Tennessee kids. But the the TWSAA said, "Wow, you know, our our young ladies are losing a lot of opportunities because we're not playing that style of game." And that's when they moved.
3: To around. me, that to me that was a be, the most visible right sign that the playing field had leveled was when they I mean people we all don't see budgets and things like that every day but when they changed the women's basketball game in high school to 5 on 5 that was a visible sign that okay on a, you're on a, on a level table again a little bit more
1: well, you know, you're at least making strides. There were still a lot of things that needed to occur. But but for once in our lives, we were able to play organized basketball and have uh, the things that, you know, that our uniforms were provided. And, oh, my goodness, we might actually get a pair of shoes and we didn't have to buy our own. Mm-hmm. And so it was such an exciting time uh, that that the opportunities were coming fast and furious. I mentioned I, I played basketball because that was one of the only sports offered at Mount Juliet uh, during that time and Larry Joe Emmons started track just so he could keep us in shape all year long (laughs) And, and so we didn't even have a volleyball team, a tennis team, none of the things that you see today, you only had two opportunities for sports for women where there were so many more for the men. And so as as we continued to grow and get new opportunities, it was an exciting time that they just hadn't, didn't have to play one particular sport. You could actually pick the sport you liked.
2: hmm amazing and it's honestly such a kind of a short amount of time because when did this fully go through you say in
1: 1970 1972 and you know i just a a little side note uh back in um i believe it was 2010 uh i was fortunate enough to be on the women's volleyball committee uh and it was a a great time and it might have been 2012 now that i think about it but um Louisville, Kentucky was hosting the women's NCAA volleyball championship that year. And it was 40 years of title nine. And, uh, Julie Herman, who used to be at Tennessee, uh, she was, uh, at Louisville, Kentucky. And she found the woman who put forth the legislation for title nine and brought <laughs> her in to talk to us. Wow. And she was this little bitty petite woman. And she was, uh, quite elderly when she came here and it was 40 years of title nine. And Julie and I, uh, when we were talking to her, we were amazed because she said, I, I really had no idea it would affect sports in any way. Uh, I just put forth legislation because I was a professor, and we did not get promoted at the same rate for tenure as our male counterparts. Hmm. And we didn't think that was fair. So that's why we put the legislation forward, and now look at what she did as a result. And we were saying even back then, with 40 years of Title IX, most of our athletes at that time – all were on full scholarship. Mm-hmm. You know, Sandy Neal was on scholarship, but it was probably a partial back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, now our young ladies have the ability to come in and receive full scholarships. Everything that is there for the men are also there for the women. And you know, travel one one of my biggest uh, uh, I guess things that I learned is. Back when I was coaching the volleyball team, our budget wasn't very big, so I'd have four to a room, and we'd eat as economically, oh my goodness, pos- as as possible. Uh, and then I found out that um, apparently. Men do not sleep in the same bed, so only two or two a room for the male sports. So that's one of the things as we move forward. We're like, Well, if there's only two to for the men's team, there's only going to be two for the women's team, right? Uh, but we were just trying to save money, we yeah. just wanted to be as frugal as we could. But you know, sometimes equality takes a lot of different views. But uh-huh. that was one of the things that I thought was so funny early on. Uh, one of the other things that, that I laugh about is. In traveling with volleyball, um, somebody, I guess the team would all draw straws because I would... I would pick up the van and the, the, the bus in the morning. We would take off to our destination. I would drive all day. They're probably in the back of sleep. We would stop and eat. We would play our game. I would coach the game. Then after the game, I had to make sure they were fed. I got them back on the bus. And by that time, it's uh, the middle of the night, and you're trying to get home. So they must have mm-hmm. drawn straws in the back of the bus because inevitably somebody would come up.
0: Make pull sure you're the cooler awake. Up,
1: and sit right beside me and talk to me all the way home because, while well, they got to rest. I never did. Oh, that's right. And those were big concerns about safety and yeah. how, you know, because I had no assistant, I couldn't I couldn't alternate with anyone, but I so wanted our women's volleyball team to have some of the same opportunities that even women's basketball had, let mm-hmm. alone the other male sports. Right. And so I would have done anything to make sure those young ladies got the opportunities that they got.
3: Now, I, and and I think we're so fortunate to have diane with us uh because i'm not sure there's i think she's unique uh on in women's athletics because you've been chairman of the women's volleyball team correct or women's volleyball uh committee which selects the The teams teams. you've been have you been the chairman of the softball committee
1: i actually uh, i complained once because our our volleyball team didn't get in the tournament And so Wright Waters from the Sunbelt Conference back in those days said, you're going to be on a committee. I started with soccer. Didn't know a lot about soccer. But I was on that committee, and I was chair of that committee my last year. Okay. Then I moved on to volleyball and was chair of that committee. And then my last step was with women's basketball. And I am the only person in history that no one complained about our selection because it was COVID 2020, (laughs) and we didn't get to make a selection. But it was an incredible five years. But, But
3: my point is, is I think, I think, and I don't. I cannot prove this. Uh, I, I could probably call the NCAA, but I think Diane is the only person in history, like she said, uh, that has chaired uh, three different sport committees, whether with uh, with with uh, soccer, volleyball, and women's basketball. And take us through while we're on that subject about the everything that was going on with the women's selection committee leading up because you all had done all your work yes to get ready for selection weekend and is i'm I'm assuming you all were already in indianapolis
1: we were you know uh it it was one of the most incredible times and we stopped and look step take a step back and look at it now as we left our homes to go to Indianapolis. We had to be there by three thirty that afternoon, uh, as we are on, wh- on which day uh, March the twelfth.
3: That would have been on Thursday. Yes. Okay. That because that's the day everything. That's the Shut day down. the world stopped.
1: Well, mm-hmm. you know it's so crazy because our team was in Dallas and mm-hmm. Frisco about to walk up the ramp and run on the floor as a
3: matter of fact on this very radio station dick palmer was on the air was
1: on the air and a
3: referee came over and told him there's going to be no game no game wow
1: the tournament has been called off Mm -hmm. uh we watched as a lot of the other conferences were shut down and we're like okay we understand but they'll never shut down the NCAA tournament. We'll still right. go. We'll select our teams, but we may not have fans. We really believe that we would still do our process uh, and there would be a tournament. And we all got there a little bit early. Uh, one of our favorite things was to uh, all meet up at Harry and Izzy's there in mm. Indianapolis. And we were sitting eating lunch at, at Harry and Izzy's, and the NCAA called and said, could y'all come in a little bit early? And we got this big lump in our throat. Because we're like, oh, this can't be good, and so uh, we got ready to pay our bill, and they said the NCAA took care of it. We're like, oh yeah, this is really bad. Oh no, when they're paying <laughs> so, for it. Yeah.
3: I mean, so, earlier that day. I mean, well, I guess maybe the day crazy. before Harvard, or not the Harvard, but uh, the uh, uh, that league, uh, the Ivy League, yes, had had, had turned things down, right? Stop things, but I think it really gained traction. When the SEC tournament, yes. which was being played in Nashville, was halted. halted, and then at the same time you had uh, the 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 uh, Conference USA tournament was going on in a lot of other leagues, and uh, matter of fact, sitting in that exact chair about two months ago, uh, uh, Bernard Childers sat here and talked about what his day was like oh. on that Thursday and having, you know semifinals winding up
0: right or or no
3: semifinals yeah no quarterfinals winding up they were going to play the semifinals on friday and to stop the girls tournament right there it was unbelievable and uh but so once you all got there and came in a little early after they paid for your lunch uh tell me how that went down and 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 have you ever felt anything like it before
1: no or since no uh you know obviously the ncaa um their their largest uh source of income is the men's basketball tournament uh which makes hundreds of millions of dollars and while the women's tournament did did not make that much money we still felt like that both of those tournaments would go on no matter what we had to do much like they did the following year when it was all in one location and it was kind of shut down and you came to your hotel and you had to eat your meals and the only time you came out the was to go to practice you were in the bubble we've all
3: we, we, it, yeah. anybody was has been involved in athletics over the last two years you spent some time in a bubble in the bubble and,
1: and you thought it, it's just gonna happen it, it can't not happen so they called us in uh we met about three o'clock that afternoon and they said um uh, you're about there's about to be a press release and both the men's and women's tournament will not be played. We thank you, we'll be telling you more later, but if you want to get back on that plane and fly home today, you can. And none of us could do it. We, we had worked so hard all mm-hmm. year long, you know. We watched anywhere from 200 to 300 basketball games. Wow. We had studied all of our conferences. We had had meetings all year long about the top teams in the nation. We were so excited about seeing how all that played out to just hear we're not playing and, and i i you know a uh, couple of the top teams and, and there was
3: not any well you know well if we could do, if this, we could do this
1: no there no, was there none, was of, none of, that. of that you know uh i had watched oregon all year long and i really thought they had a great opportunity and, and i think south carolina was deemed the champion that year because they were number one but it, as i watched games i thought this is going to be an, an incredible mm-hmm. game uh and uh It it, it was just so heartbreaking for these young ladies and and young men to have worked so hard, and many of them seniors. And then at that time, we didn't know it, that they would get a COVID year and get to get another year. But it was so heartbreaking to see all that hard work just stop.
3: What about both professionally and personally? Heartbreaking?
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm sure. It's it's truly, you know, we we talk a lot about this with our student athletes and how they had never faced anything like it. None of us had, you know, it's not like uh, any of the, uh, you know, incredibly intelligent uh, athletic administrators sat around and said, now, what if there were a pandemic? You know, those are things right. we plan for a lot of things, but never had we planned for something like that. Right. And and it just I mean, to think about shutting down professional sports, college sports, high school sports, everything is just uh, it, it's its mind boggling at this point in our in our society.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the one thing once it came back, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, light shines on different areas. And we've talked about how Title IX, our 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 overlay topic here uh, was to provide equality when women's basketball returned in 2021 and the NCAA tournament field was selected and teams went to sites uh, went to, to to the site which was yes. uh, in, in their bubble there was a light shine there that said hey now not everything is as equal uh, with the men and women as far as you know uh, whether it's I think the big example that was made was the weight room. Yes. Uh, thing, th- uh, And, you know, the, what was available to the men and what was available to the women, uh, things like that. Quality, I think quality of food came up. Right, uh, you know,
1: mm-hmm. everything came up. And, and Chip, probably the most overwhelming thing about that is for the five years I was on the committee, we discussed that every year about oh, really? the inequities. Yes, because... Even from tournament gifts... Uh, And it it just got brought to light because everybody was sitting around their hotel room texting or or taking pictures And they were all
3: in one site.
1: Right. And so all of a sudden, if you had a men's and a women's team, you know, you practice together or not together, but, you know, you're in the gym and the training room at the same time. And so, hey, Chip, look what we got. Oh, hey, look what we Mm -hmm. got. You know, and and the weight room was probably the most glaring, but there had been inequities for so many years years uh one of my first years on the committee was the first time we'd ever had a gift suite where the men had had it for many many years and anuka brown was our vice president at that time and she fought very hard while we got different gifts she worked very hard to make sure they were equal in, in monetary value mm-hmm. uh, and, and so um uh, covid just uh ostracized a a little bit of the problem and brought it to light and so I'm I'm hoping I'm very hopeful that that's going to be continued to be worked on
3: well Uh, you know and and one of the other pieces about that that really just stunned me and I I have a marketing background and and in broadcasting and and all of that but I was not aware, and I try to be aware of things, right. that, I, I, that, that the women's tournament could not use the phrase March, March Mad-
1: Madness. Yes. And
3: I thought, that is just stupid.
1: Nor, <laughs> nor were any of the sponsorships sold for both sports.
3: It was all – e- you were either sold either for the men's, the men's tournament or the women's the, tournament. F-
1: yes, March Madness. Everybody wanted to advertise for March Madness. Mm-hmm. And to most be able to get like to – they would pay
3: and could get to use right, the, the – yeah right.
1: Most people didn't even realize it wasn't happening. They assumed right. it was happening, and we had some of the same sponsors, but we did not. So I think that's a, an eye-opening thing that's going to improve both tournaments. I mean, during my tenure, one of the things is that we went from having only regional games televised to every game televised that was huge uh we was went, that part we, of
3: while you were on the committee right, that, that made that final step
1: yes espn took a big step uh and uh carol swift did an incredible job and kept fighting for that uh and our ratings continued to improve i've always said and i think pat Summit. Head was the greatest. Uh, we've always said, given the same opportunities, we can produce the same quality of entertainment. It might not mm-hmm. be exactly the same, but the women have their game, the men have their game, and we can provide an exciting brand of competition. And for many years, Pat Summit uh, had her young ladies playing and they, they may not have been selling out Thompson Bowling, but they had a huge crowd.
3: Well, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is, too, and I, I think it's it's not fair to compare one against the other. Right. It, it, enjoy them on their own merits. Yes. And the the greatest example in 2022 of where women's athletics has come uh is the women's college world series in softball it has absolutely exploded Mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that but we need to take uh this will be our final break i guess tonight yep so we got to make sure that all the folks who have been kind enough to mr murfreesboro get their due here tonight we'll be back in a minute with diane turnham
0: Find your next car at Car One. We carry an assortment of makes and models to fit every budget and lifestyle. Head to our website, car1tn.net, to see our inventory and specials. Financing is available. Call us at 615 962 9450 or 615 653 7298. Car One, your one stop shop. Located at 232 Southeast Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Rhonda McCrary has been in the mortgage business for 29 years. She was voted as a favorite mortgage loan officer in the 2018 and 2019 D&J Ruthie Awards, and she's a proud member of the Middle Tennessee State University 1989 graduating class. She specializes in all types of mortgage products and takes pride in going the extra mile and personally taking care of her customers. You can visit her at 1639 Medical Center Parkway, Suite 203 here in Murfreesboro. Reach her by phone, 615-419-9193, or even apply online at loansbyrhonda.com.
2: Right, we are back. You are listening to the Mister Murphy Sparrow Show. We are here live in the studio. I'm Michael Lynn White, along with our special co-host tonight, Chip Walters, and our guest Diane Turnham.
3: Absolutely, and uh, we are- we've been we've been celebrating and kind of uh, you know extending. The celebration of uh, Title IX's fiftieth anniversary, which happened on June 23rd of this year, which was last Wednesday, uh, and uh, as we mentioned, it went back. President Nixon signed it into law on June 23rd, 1972, and 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 our our, our focus has been uh, athletics and and how it has helped level the playing field. And it is we have come a long way. We're not it's not there yet but in in many cases it is in many ways that it is but there's still other you know parts of it that that will continue to to be worked on and and that's you know i think at this point uh and michael Lynn i think made a comment during during a break that uh because we talked about examples of things that have happened in these 50 years and she says wow that's a lot you know (laughs) because there's not a there's not I think it's it's a great example of what can be done and 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 other issues, whether they are related to you know, whether it's women's rights or or uh, whether it's uh, race relations, you know, have they been able to make this make up the same amount of ground in 50 years as well so there's a lot to be proud of
1: you know there there is I mean you look at the coaches who as you said might not have gotten an opportunity to to have a career in that field Uh, I didn't set out to become a college coach but I had some opportunities that were incredible and i took advantage of them and Mm -hmm. i've laughed because i said you know i thought i'd come to middle tennessee and i'd coach three or four years and then i'd go back and teach elementary school and i never left because as you started to see the opportunities for young women we were giving young women an opportunity to get a college education Mm -hmm. and then go on to uh be uh, instrumental in their careers. Um,
3: let me let me give you an example sure. of of, of uh, how uh, a, a young lady uh, is making an incredible life for herself due to Title IX, and she also happens to be from Mount Juliet. Yes, that would be Alicia Clark, who uh, uh, was on a great high school team at Mount Juliet, uh, and to my knowledge, uh, it may be the only four-time conference player of the year in college basketball because she was two years in the Atlantic Sun and then two years uh, here in the Sun Belt when she came to Middle Tennessee. Well, she's now uh, won two WNBA championships. Yes. She uh, awesome. is now playing for the Washington WNBA team. There was a trade involved. She is a social media influencer. She does modeling work. Right. But it, the Title IX, if, had Title Nine not happened, you know, she would have been a really good she she'd be you know on a really good uh, she was a volleyball player to start with right. and, and she might be on a on a coed volleyball team somewhere or a, you know church league softball team uh, but because those opportunities were there for her you know she has taken advantage of those and she's playing uh, basketball at the highest level in the world in the WNBA and 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 she is a celebrity in life because of what she has been able to do through her athletic career that Mm -hmm. was afforded her through Title IX.
1: You know, it's amazing because she um, exemplifies, if given a chance, you can excel. Uh, Everybody said she was too small to play college ball. Uh, They said that about another one of my players. I think her name was Kim Webb, who Who ended up being one of the only women to ever have her jersey retired. Uh, She was on one of my first recruiting classes. But but Alicia reminded me a lot of her because she was undersized, uh, maybe in height, but her heart was the size of Texas. And they decided that they were going to play and they were going to make the most of their opportunities. Um, uh, Alicia's brother, I believe, was on... American Idol or something. She was on.
3: He was on one of those shows. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so her her father moved them from the Midwest to Nashville, Tennessee, and they landed in okay. Mount Juliet, which was <laughs> my home. And I, I started telling everybody, you gotta you gotta take a peek at this young lady. And she went to Belmont originally, and then transferred to us and everybody said there's no way she makes it in the wnba and we just smiled because we knew that not only would she make it but that she would be a huge success yep and that's what it's all about given the opportunity not everybody will take it, it the opportunity and run with it but mm-hmm. I, I know so many young women who have taken their opportunity you know we, we mentioned Sandy Neal earlier uh, she started as a, a young girl from, from Bradley Central just wanting to play a little tennis she was the first female to ever have a scholarship at MTSU she ended up being a coach and was like 6 or 7 time Ohio Valley Coach of the Year <laughs> won numerous championships and and like I said I learned a whole lot from her uh, but but I, I was there a couple of years and she decided to uh, get her doctorate and have children and left me so there for a while I was the only female in the athletic department for many years
2: well what a cool opportunity for you we you know we're talking about all our you know the players and stuff but even for you what a cool career you've had that would have could have gone in a totally other direction you
1: know uh I, I've told so many people that Uh, Never did I set out to say, I I think I want to be an athletic administrator because there really was no such thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, It was still pretty much a men's world. But I came in and I just didn't know that I wasn't supposed to ask questions or ask if I could do this (laughs) or ask if I could do that. And so I just kept pushing for our women to get more things. Uh, And I worked for some great individuals who listened to me and who tried to increase the opportunities for women, uh, not just in a couple of sports, but being a part of adding several sports at mtsu uh bringing new coaches in uh preparing our young females to go out into the world and succeed at a very high level uh i'm a big believer in, in the value of sports on so many levels mm-hmm. and the men had had that opportunity for a long long time but to be able to turn around and give that same opportunity to a lot of our young women is truly one of the greatest aspects of my career and and thank goodness i was given Thank goodness Coach Earl made me coach two sports because otherwise <laughs> I right. probably wouldn't have gone into administration mm-hmm. and tried to get so many more opportunities for our women. So, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely a Title IX baby that got uh, my career as a result of being in the right place at the right time. And That's that, amazing.
3: And, we, and we, we, we gave you the 37 words of Title IX in the first five minutes of the show. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Now, uh, we've talked about all a, a lot of the things in athletics. G- give me some examples of, of, of non-athletics, uh, non-athletic things. And, and I think it goes back to the lady who uh, came and talked to you guys 10 years ago in Louisville right. about... Uh, uh, professor opportunities to thrive. And I think you look at any college campus these days, you look at any, uh, well, you know, I think a lot of our elementary schools back in the day, you had, you know, the the stereotypical school marm type thing. That that was where women went. Men, oh, we were high. That was the higher level. You went and you were a college professor. But you look across the country now and, and uh, the rosters of Uh, professors at universities have many many more women than they did when even you and I were in college
1: well you know that's true Chip and one of the other things I think um, I I sit and look at some of our former athletes I've got one right now that uh, was an orthopedic surgeon Leanne Beck came to us from Fort Knox Kentucky Uh, she came in she was a great player but she was uh, an incredible student And she got recruited all over again when she left us to go to med school because her grades were so high. So she was an orthopedic surgeon. She chose Bethesda, Maryland. And they would pay for her medical school if she would serve in the Navy for six years, which she did. And now she's a professor at Emory. And I'm going to give you one more quick example. I had a young lady on one of my very first volleyball teams. And really
3: nothing about Leanne playing basketball had anything to do with that.
1: Right. Right. It's just I mean, another she,
3: opportunity but I she, think, as a female, was afforded. I think sports afforded.
1: afforded her that opportunity yes. to get uh-huh. the resources she needed to excel Uh, And one last person that I want to just mention is um, Beverly Kill is now the dean Mm -hmm. of our uh, media and entertainment. Well, she was on my first volleyball team. Oh, was she? And uh, (laughs) her dad was a newspaper writer for the banner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her senior year, he passed away suddenly, and she was devastated. Mm -hmm. She had planned to go to Columbia, and uh, they just didn't have the resources for her to do that. She she eventually got there. She came to middle, uh, and she said, I was lost and she said coach C you helped me find myself again you you put me in a group of people i found myself and i was able to succeed and then she later went on to Columbia mm-hmm. to grad school. Became and a doctor. She, yeah. And now she's back and she's over our entire department. And every time we do something great in that area, my heart just about busts because yeah. I'm I'm so excited to see I have I have women that are policemen, physical therapists, doctors, lawyers. Shauna Wright's an immigration lawyer out in uh, wow. Texas. It's just Amazing. so awesome to see those girls and see what they've accomplished. And I'm a big believer because that's Title IX and the opportunities they got in sports but also in education.
2: Ooh, that is good. We uh, should uh, she right finished there. with a flurry there, didn't she? I know. She? It is really exciting and, like, chills to think about it and how none of that would be happening without something like this. And that one lady who pushed it through just because...
1: She wanted to get promoted. Right. <laughs> so, hey, whatever
2: it takes. And, and, you and, and, and if
3: you, you know, President Nixon had uh, not a lot of great, compliments, but if you want to compliment him on one thing, he signed Title IX into law. Yeah, He
2: did. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Diane. This is been awesome. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. And we are so excited to be able to talk about this and just kind of celebrate what all it's meant to us. And Chip, thank you for filling in for Mr. Murfreesboro, Bill. We missed you, Bill. We missed you, Bill. You know, he'll be sad if we don't mention him.
3: That's right. That's right, Bill. We uh, we, we we muddled through it once again, and uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. And then folks, uh, join me on uh, Wednesday morning, 9 a.m., J.W. Roth from Notes Live will be on and we'll have all kinds of good questions for him about what that new venue is going to be like.
2: Awesome. Well, thank y'all for listening. Thank you to our awesome sponsors and we will see you next week.